0: This episode contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, December 8th, the holiday food edition. I'm Jamila Lemieux, a writer, contributor to Slate's Care and Feeding parenting column, and mom to Naima, who's nine and a half, and we live in LA. I'm
1: Zach Rosen. I make the Best Advice Show podcast, and I am the dad to Noah, who's five, and Ami, who's two. We live in Detroit.
2: I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. I write the homeschool and family travel blog, Dutch Dutch Goose. I'm the mom of three littles, Henry who's 10, Oliver who's 8, and Teddy who's 6. We live in Colorado Springs, Colorado.
0: Today on the show, we're going to talk about how to navigate feeding your kids around the holidays. Elizabeth speaks with registered dietitian and author, Megan McNamee. Some of you may be familiar with her work. She's half of the Feeding Littles team. She and feeding therapist Judy Delaware offer courses, have a cookbook, and run a popular Instagram account. So Megan is here and she's going to offer some advice to help you and your family get through the holidays. Then on Slate Plus, we discuss what to do when someone criticizes your parenting style. Here's a sneak peek of what you'll
2: hear if you have Slate Plus.
1: I wish I had the grace to say it like that.
2: I just feel like that gives them more buy in than they even deserve for the most part. Like, this is a choice I make. Like, you're in the line with the grocery store. I don't know (laughs) you.
0: (laughs) All right. We're going to catch up on our weekend parenting, but not before a quick break. We'll see you here in a second. All right. Let's get this thing started. Zach, do you have a triumph or a fail for us today?
1: It's a fail. We noticed a couple of weeks ago, Noah was like uh, holding her ear intermittently and complaining about some ear pain. Uh, we thought maybe it was like an earwax buildup. Just hoped that it would go away. It didn't go away. Uh, we took her to Shearer's clinic You know, is a physician. And one of her colleagues looked with an otoscope. Didn't see anything troubling. So we were just like, all right, this maybe it's just earwax again. I don't know. Um, but like the pain wasn't so bad that it was like like she was still going to school it was just kind of sporadic and then this weekend we went to our friend's birthday party which was at an indoor pool the party was on saturday and then like starting monday morning the pain seemed to be getting much worse it got to the point where like i picked noah up from school yesterday afternoon and i walked up to the gate and i just like saw her it was a almost as if like her shoulder was glued to her left ear like, she was just clearly Ugh. just, like, cover, covering the ear. And I mm-hmm. felt so bad. I'm like, oh, my God, how did I send her to school with this ear pain? We got a doctor's appointment for this coming, for, like, f- four days from now because the pediatrician w- was really busy. Um, but once I saw her standing like that, um, that poor thing, I was like, no, we need, to, we need to take her in now. And fortunately, there's a clinic that's actually open Monday afternoons in... In our area, because taking her to the ER, like we were, we just thought, like, man, she, we're going to be waiting. Like pediatric ERs right now are especially crowded. This doesn't seem to be an emergency, but we took her to this clinic um, yesterday evening. Shira took her, and it turns out that what it probably is is otitis externa, which is also known as swimmer's ear, which is just like an inflammation, painful infection of the outer ear, and like starting yesterday and into today, it the pain for her has just been excruciating. She's just been like writhing and it's been the saddest thing to see. Um, Compounded by Shira needed to call like 10 pharmacies uh, to get the antibiotic and the steroid, um, which like so few of them had, which scared the shit out of me. Finally, we got her the medicine, but it wasn't for like 24 plus hours after she started to really feel the serious pain. So, just this feeling of helplessness of just like we have been giving her tylenol and motrin um in the interim but just like not being able to do anything for her as she's just like seriously screaming in pain um not persistently but for like you know five and ten minute bursts having a hard time sleeping we just have felt so bad for her we finally got the eardrops in her like a couple hours ago she's home right now she stayed home from school Sheer is here too, so I haven't heard any screams since we, <laughs> since we started recording. Thank goodness. Um, but I think it might take like a couple days for the drops to to really start taking effect. But man, just the the feeling of helplessness when there's there's not much you can do for your kid uh, is one of the most heartbreaking things I can feel. And this is such like a micro example of it. But my heart goes out to all the parents who have like. Seriously, chronically sick kids who just have to like sit there and hold their kids in pain when there isn't something in the short term they can do for them Uh, this was just like an example of uh, just just that that terrible feeling so um, I I hope she's going to be doing better in the next couple days but swimmer's ear man it's no joke
2: there's something about the ear I think because it's like connected to so much that it just is really <laughs> painful yeah
1: really, it's so really close painful. to that brain
2: i do um not to make light of your poor daughter's situation make but light. i i do feel better knowing that you're married to a doctor and you still How do you did think I get feel, the diagnosis <laughs> right oh,
1: oh oh yes i see what you're saying yeah <laughs>
2: No, I'm just totally. like for those of us right. <laughs> for, for us mere mortals dealing yeah. with sickness, I feel yeah. like what we can take is like, listen, even if you were a doctor, you may not always know what's mm-hmm. going on with your child mm-hmm. and it's okay. Like it's it's all right, guys. <laughs>
1: totally. We are failable. We fail. Yeah.
2: So yeah. thanks thanks, Shira, for making us all feel <laughs> <laughs> like better, better parents. <laughs>
0: no. Absolutely. Uh, Elizabeth, what about you? Do you have a triumph or a fail?
2: I don't know whether it's a triumph or a fail, but we discovered yesterday that Teddy's teacher has... (laughs) Basically, they've been having, like, a series of miscommunications. Okay, so he—Teddy goes to school one day a week at a homeschool academy that's, like, just up the street from our house. And admittedly, we have been gone a lot. So, like, next week is the last week of this this term or whatever of homeschool academy. So he sees this teacher once a week, but probably less than that. You know, I think when kids talk to teachers, you just—I just always kind of assume, like— well, we don't believe everything he says about his teacher, and his teacher's mm-hmm. not going to believe everything that's like that he says about us and about our family, right? Like, that's kind of the understanding, mm-hmm. right? This is a six-year-old, um, and it's Teddy. So it, it started that Jeff went to pick him up, and we um, often take our Bachfeets, which is like our Dutch cargo bike, um, because it's not too, too far um, from there. Pretty much everyone else uses the carpool line just the way that it's set up, but Because we usually take the bike, we couldn't take the bike this week because someone left a piece of barbed wire over the bike path, and we drove the Bachfeets over it, and it takes a special tire. It's a giant mess. So um, Jeff drove to pick him up, but then left the car. He, like, parks the car and walks to get him because Teddy's kind of expecting us to walk up. And the teacher came up and said, your son is insisting that he's Dutch. And Jeff was like, well, yeah, he was born in the Netherlands. Um, and she's like, it just occurred to me that you bike here. And he was really excited in class on on Monday because the, um, the Netherlands had beat the USA in the World Cup, the Men's World Cup. And so uh, he was like talking with his little school friends about this. And mm-hmm. uh, she was like, huh, I keep telling him he's mistaken. <laughs> and Jeff's like, no, no, no. He's, he's like, we're not Dutch, but he was born in the Netherlands and he, he you know, we call him like our little Dutch baby, like things like that. So, okay. So we sort of wrote it off. We get an email later uh, where she says, like, here are some other things he's been saying <laughs> that I now, upon consideration, think might be true. One of which he had told us on this, we were out on this full moon walk where we like go into the woods with a full moon and we walk because you can kind of see the path and we look for animals. We're always too loud to see any animals. But on the walk back, he had said, I want to tell you about my day. Something weird happened. He had brought in like one of the pictures from our polar bear trip to show the class. And he, you know, one of the students said like, is this real? And he was like, yes, this is a real polar bear. Mm -hmm. And the teacher's like, well, yes, this is a picture of a real polar bear. But Teddy didn't see the polar bear. And Teddy's like, I did see the polar bear. Like we took this picture and you know she was like oh yeah you printed the picture from the internet and he's like no i saw the I took this picture room. yeah and then he brings out you know in his six year old mind he brings out his like notebook his like nature <laughs> notebook and is like see i drew a picture of the polar bear <laughs> you know like how how else can i demonstrate to you i was there i drew the polar bear my mom took this picture um so she was basically emailing us <laughs> saying like I now think that maybe I have been telling Teddy that none of these things that he's telling us are true, uh, when in fact, maybe they are. So I think, you know, to me, I felt sort of like, well, this is my fault, because when I have called him in or when I've emailed with the teacher, I've just been like, no, oh, we're going to be gone. Like I I don't spend a lot of time. And because none of the other parents like get out and talk at carpool, I don't really talk with the teacher. Like my other two kids, the way drop-off works is that we're all kind of standing around and the teacher comes out. So there's more opportunity to say like, oh, he's going to be gone and this is what we're doing or um, exchange some information. But because of the way this homeschool academy works, there's just none of that. And I think for a lot of people, it's just a this is one day a week that I that the kid is kind of gone, you know. Mm-hmm. And they're not really trying to foster community among the parents and the and the students in the same way that a that a more traditional school might be. So I do feel like, "Oh, maybe I should have been more specific." <laughs> But she said, I mean, she said, like, I'm going to apologize to Teddy because we don't want him to feel like he's not believed when he says these things. But I just feel bad. I feel he sort of was like, eh, whatever. Um, but I feel bad about the whole thing and, and what I could have done to sort of, you know, be like, oh, here are some things you should know about this kid that he might talk about. I just wonder what other things she might be questioning. <laughs> Well, it is Teddy. It's possible that a lot of the things he says is not true.
1: (laughs) How about you, Jamila? Try and for fail this week.
0: Uh, I have a big old fail for today. Um, So I set two alarms for myself in the morning. Six. This is the current wake up time. It changes every now and again. But Mm -hmm. I set one for six. And then I have one set for six ten. And then at six ten, what I do is I set an alarm for six thirty five. I don't know why I don't just set the six thirty five alarm. You sound like my wife. Going forward, like just why isn't it set right now? But that's just what I do. Six.
1: So you're manually setting the six thirty five yeah, at six ten every day. At 610, okay. Six okay. ten.
0: I'm like okay. I got until 610. If I'm feeling a little daring, I might give myself until <laughs> six, six us. Cause I wake Naeem up when I wake up, I might give us until 645, you know, we got to be out of the house by about 750. Um, so I today did not set the 610 alarm. So when the six ten alarm
2: went off, that was you did
0: not set the next alarm. I did not
2: set the next <laughs>
0: alarm. And it made me wonder, how has this not happened sooner? <laughs> because this is a terrible system.
1: <laughs> system, yeah. <laughs>
0: Uh, so <laughs> I'm revising that I will be setting a 635 alarm before bed tonight. Should we make it? You know, you just
2: do it right now. I'll and do it, hit, it right now. Right now.
0: Set it right Wait, now. Wait, so
1: what time, and what time did you wake up?
0: I woke up at seven o'clock.
2: Did you make it?
0: Um, she was about ten minutes late.
2: Oh.
0: So, I mean. It In the noise. <laughs> yeah, it, it could have been worse, but, you know. We were late yesterday, too, so not <laughs> starting the week off great. Yesterday, we were, like, intentional. Yesterday, I gave us extra sleep. We were both tired. Naima had taken a sleep gummy, and she took it later than I thought she should have, and she assured me. She was like, Mommy, I I just can't sleep, you know? And I was like, yeah. oh, my gosh, you know, like, well, that's bad. You know, but I was just like, I think it's a little bit late in the evening for you to be taking this, you know, and against my better judgment. But a serving is one of two. So I'm like, okay, she had one. Really, she should have took a half of one. But sure enough, in the morning, she was still a little tired. So I gave her an extra 30 minutes of sleep, which meant that she was ended up being about 15 minutes late for school. So we still didn't do too bad. But we're now two days in a row, baby. We're that family.
1: It's okay, Jamila.
0: It's all right. (laughs) all right well on that note let's take another quick break and when we come back we will dive right into our interview all right we are back uh elizabeth tell us why did you want to speak with megan
2: okay well one of the many um you know, perks of this job is that when you're having a problem, you can go out and find an expert and make them talk to you about the thing and claim that you're doing it for everyone else. Mm-hmm. So here we are, where I this period between basically Halloween and New Year's to me feels like a, a burden of food, right? Like one. I'm consumed by trying to make sure that that my kids are fed, that that we are doing a good job, that we're also enjoying like all these holiday traditions. And then we introduce family members and friends and all of these other people who have different thoughts on food. Um, And I wanted to kind of mentally prepare myself with how (laughs) to deal with holiday food and kids. Just like what mentality do I need to be in going forward as we have these meals and we encounter sweets everywhere um, to have a really healthy, positive relationship with both my kids and food?
1: Cool. I need this interview just as much as you do. So thanks for doing it.
2: Absolutely. I hope you
3: enjoy. And here's our conversation.
2: Megan, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Would you mind telling listeners who you are and what you do?
3: Sure. Well, my name is Megan McNamee. I am a registered dietitian nutritionist and I specialize in pediatrics, in maternal child health, and eating disorder prevention. And I'm co-owner of Feeding Littles.
2: We're so excited to have you on the show because I I just feel like we source questions from listeners and probably sleep and feeding are the two we get the most questions about, kind of regardless of the age. Why is feeding kids so hard?
3: (laughs) That's a really good question. I think partially because we don't learn a lot about it. We don't have necessarily a lot of techniques to draw back on when we were little. Um, Most of us, you know, remember we have to clean our plate to be excused from the table, or we have to eat our veggies to get our desserts. And these don't necessarily help kids learn how to be proficient eaters. It just kind of sets them up to maybe eat more than they need or potentially hate peas that they were forced to eat at the table. So I think it's challenging because kids are naturally suspicious of new foods starting somewhere between 12 and 24 months. It's considered a normal part of development. Nobody really tells you that. And so when it happens, you think you did something wrong. You think, you know, you messed up. I think there's such a big pressure put on parents now to make, quote unquote, make our kids eat well because we we value nutrition so much differently than we used to. Like, I don't think this was a stress for our parents nearly as much as it is for us. A lot of you listening might have parents that really value nutrition and were really, encouraging of you trying new things and stuff but my mom does not remember this level of stress around it that a lot of our a lot of our clients experience
2: i find now there's stress and like so much stigma attached to it and i feel like anytime i'm forced to have a conversation with my children about nutrition that i'm doing it that i'm
3: just doing it wrong the intent is what matters none of us are going to be perfect with this if you remember to keep weight and appearance out of the discussion about nutrition then that's 99% of it right there. So we were taught to eat well because it would, quote, make you thin. Or you could only eat certain things if you had a certain type of body. If we stay away from that kind of messaging and we connect food back to how our kids function and feel, then that's, that's the battle right there.
2: We're obviously headed into the holiday season, so I want to talk a little bit about handling food situations that come up a lot during the holidays. And the first, at least, for me is kind of this idea of like potlucks and shared foods, I feel like when I'm at home and I can control the situation, right, like I have foods that I know the kids eat, that I know are good fuel for their body, and I can make sure that that is presented <laughs> on on a plate. You know, if there are carrot lovers, there's there's always carrots kind of available, those sort of things. Do you have tips for now you're at, you know, your in-law's house or you're at a, you know, holiday party, and this is going to be your kid's meal, but none of the food is familiar?
3: Yes. And that's so tricky. And keep in mind too, that holiday meals can be very overwhelming for a picky eater or just a a newbie, right? Because it's completely different. Sight, sounds, taste, textures, everything. So it's okay if your kid literally just eats the bread and butter for dinner or the mashed potatoes. I know people worry about that. Like, oh my gosh, no, a kid can survive on bread and butter for a meal. Trust me. They will be just (laughs) fine. Um, I think more than worrying necessarily about, you know, if it's balanced or are they going to try all these different things, try to focus more on the experience. We want to teach our kids that holiday gatherings and holiday meals are their family, their tradition, they're how we celebrate each other. We do go through certain rituals that are special to our family. And even if you're not ready to eat those foods yet... Involve them in the cooking if you can, or teach them about how you like to cut the turkey, or show them grandma's favorite stuffing and what it you know, what it looks like, what it smells like. They might not be ready to try it, but just focus more on the experience than the actual food and eating it, in that food itself, and they'll have positive connections to it. And the next time you have that meal again, they might be a little bit more willing to try, but it's not the end of the world. If they don't want to eat it right now, it's not forever. They'll probably love it when they're a little bit older. That's
2: great advice to remember too. It's like just one, one of the times they're getting food in this day.
3: <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. If they freak out, it's okay. If they have to go to bed before the whole meal happens, like you just have to do what you need to do to kind of get through that day. Sometimes with little kids, yes, it's great if there's a familiar food for them, but it doesn't have to be that one, you know, super nutrient rich food that they love. It can be literally anything that, that they want to enjoy. like I said, if they just want the mashed potatoes, which also have nutrition in them, like Awesome. Have some mashed potatoes.
2: What do you do about the sweets that are everywhere this time of year? Uh, I, this is something I struggle with because I feel like no matter where we go, people are offering the kids have a piece of can you know, like everyone's got a little candy basket. Everyone, uh, every meal now is going to have all these desserts. How are how are you handling that? How should we be handling those moments
3: I think our culture has taught us that like sugar is evil and you shouldn't have any of it. And some of you listening might completely agree with that. And this might sound crazy to you, but food is more than just nutrients that go into your body. Food is a very strong psychological component as well. And when we tell ourselves that we're not allowed to have something, the first thing we want, the first thing we go for is that thing we've said is off limits. So there's some structure around this. It's not like, hey, let's just give them candy all day, every day, because they won't function well that way. They won't feel good well that way. And that's not a normal way to live. You don't probably eat candy all day either. You know that you need fuel and energy to, to go about your, your tasks. So what we recommend is you know, you get to still decide when to serve that food, so you don't have to serve it with every meal if you don't want to. Now, if you're going somewhere, though, and there it is served, just try not to make a big deal out of it don't make it a fight. Don't make it something that you bargain over, that you bribe them over, because what you actually inadvertently do is you elevate that food to something really special. If you say, well, you have to eat all of your food to get this candy, then all the other food is, "Mm," and the candy is very special, right? You're also kind of teaching them to ignore their internal cues of fullness when you do that. If they're not hungry for every single bite on their plate, yet they know they have to eat it to get something they really want, now they're going to start ignoring that. They're going to ignore what their body's telling them. So instead, make it make it neutral. Say you go to grandma's house and there's cookies. You can even serve a cookie with their meal. It sounds counterintuitive, but it actually helps alleviate some of that special quality of that food and makes everything kind of on the same playing field. They're going to eat the cookie anyway. <laughs> Why does it matter if they eat it at the beginning, middle, or end? And you might be surprised. Oftentimes kids will just, they'll eat it a few bites, and then they'll go on and eat other things on their plate. It's just not nearly as special when we don't elevate it so much. But in efforts to reduce sugar in our kids' lives, what sometimes we end up doing is making it something they sneak or hoard or binge because they see it as so off-limits. So including sugar in your kid's diet in a neutral way, just serving it when you decide to serve it and don't serve it when you decide not to, actually helps them learn how to manage and be around sugar because they're not going to be under our roofs forever. And my kids are older now. They're um, nine and seven. They're not old, old yet, thank goodness, because I feel like they were just babies a second ago. But they're on their own for a lot of food decisions now. I care as much about my kids' relationship to food as I care about what they eat.
2: Do you have any tips for mealtime attention, focusing on the meal. Um, again, something that may be easy to control at your house when you're plating things or putting them on the table or you have your typical culture of how you're going to eat a meal as a family or, or whatever that looks like. It seems like now we get into the season where that, that changes and sometimes having, you know, the meals are a little bit longer do you expect the kids to sit the whole time do you expect them to try everything on their plate like what kind of little rules or thoughts can we have or is it like it's holiday whatever
3: (laughs) that's a great question and I think it really depends on the culture of your family realize first and foremost that most toddlers if you have a really young kid they can only handle sitting in the high chair for five maybe ten minutes and that's not because they're unruly or bad or anything wrong with them. That's just how they're naturally hardwired because they're designed to want to move. So the clock starts when you put them in the chair. The more opportunity they have to kind of get the wiggles out right before you put them in the chair and then having the meal ready right when you eat, the better. So I know it's kind of annoying because you want to contain them, but you can literally have them do a little job for you. Bring napkins over to the table. Maybe they... Um, they bring the ketchup over or whatever sauce you're using as long as they can't break it and hurt themselves. That gives them a job. It gets them interested in the meal and then allows you to kind of get everything finalized before you sit them down to eat because that's when you know, you're know that you going to have the best attention for the next five to ten minutes max. If you're at somebody else's house, it can be hard because their rules might be different than yours. And that's okay. And it's okay for kids to learn like, hey, we do this differently somewhere else. We still recommend not forcing kids to eat. Even if you're at grandma's house, you know, obviously we consider it polite to try all the foods on our plate. A two-year-old doesn't get that. And we don't want them to try or be forced to eat something that they're, they're just not ready for. It can be tricky with other people that don't get this. And you can say things like, you know, we're not forcing him to eat where we're putting it on his plate. We'll see if he eats it or not. But he gets to choose what goes in his body. Or, you know, if you have a really aggressive, you know uncle or someone that's making them eat, you can just say, it's okay. You know, it's okay. I only expect them just to sit here for a little bit. They don't have to eat everything on their plate. They're not ready for that. We're working on it. It's okay. Sometimes people just don't know any different and that's what they did with their kids. And they just kind of think that that's what you want done too. But put yourself in your kid's shoes. It's a completely different environment. They might not have a lot of familiarity with these people. The food tastes and looks absolutely differently than it always has. It's kind of scary and overwhelming, and it's okay if they're not into it right now.
2: I have three kids, and one of them uh, is in food therapy. Some of the things you're saying ring really true to me because he's been really encouraged to just like, or I guess, really, we have been <laughs> encouraged to to allow our middle child to just like play with the food, like just tolerance of it on his plate, are things that that we have been working on and having. You know, other people that are over to dinner that are like, why is he making a face out of his food? And it's like, well, that's where he's having it on his plate, like having to explain like these are are things that we just are doing differently to nurture that
3: relationship
2: (laughs) with food, even when people think it's weird.
3: And even if you're not in feeding therapy, that is one of the things we teach in our course. We literally talk about how there's multiple steps to eating and the first is actually allowing the food to stay on your plate. And that's a big win for people who have really picky eaters who wouldn't even go near something, wouldn't even want it near them. If they allow it to stay there, that's one step closer to actually eating it potentially one day. And we were taught it's not polite to play with your food, don't mess with your food. But actually, kids learn about their world through play and touch and experience. So when they get a chance to play with their food and explore it with their hands, even if they don't eat it just yet, that's yet another step along the path to learning how to eat it one day. If your kid's willing to play with it, they might put it in their mouth. Maybe they'll spit it out again, but at least they're getting there. So you can remind, you know, your family members at the table, hey, we're just, we're working on it and you can blame it on us. You can blame it on, you know, Judy and Megan. Feeding littles just say that this is good and we're, we're on a path right now. It's okay if he just plays with his peas and we, he doesn't have to eat it.
2: How, how do you know where that line is between like, I need extra help And this is normal.
3: I think that a parent's gut instinct is probably the most important, the most powerful out of everything. There's obviously some things that, you know, Judy would look at in assessing a child. And I can explain a few of them. But I mean, I just talked to a mom this week who said at her one-year appointment, she was telling her doctor, my baby is only eating pureed foods. He won't tolerate anything different. Two-year appointment, same thing. Three-year appointment, same thing, and the doctor kept saying, "Well, just keep working on it. Just keep working on it." Well, that at that point, you know, I would have said, by twelve months, if your baby cannot tolerate any other texture, that should be something that we would look at, some professional would look at. Um, Definitely by two. Oh my gosh, by three. By this now, you know, she she has a four-year-old that can't eat anything except puree textures and that's so defeating for her because she knew there was something wrong and she wasn't getting the help and support she needed so with that being said if you feel like you need a second opinion not just you know from your pediatrician but from anything you're dealing with with your kid it's okay to seek another another professional's expertise if you are in feeding therapy and it's not sitting with you well it's okay to try somebody else But I think that it's extremely powerful for a parent to trust their own instincts here because they know their kid better than anyone else. If your child eats less than 20 total foods, and I use this example that Judy always says, Cheerios would be one food, Honey Nut Cheerios would be a second food. So people will say, oh my gosh, they don't eat that many foods. And then they think about it and they go, okay, well, they would eat white bread. They would eat wheat bread. They would eat bagels. They would eat, you know what I mean? Like they can come up with at least 20 foods. If they're under 20 foods, that in and of itself right there is a sign that you might want to start asking for extra help. If they seem extremely intolerant of certain textures, if they struggle to touch something with their hands or put a certain texture in their mouth, that's another indicator we might want to get some extra help. If they've had any oral motor issues, chewing problems, swallowing issues, um, you know, maybe they were born prematurely and they had feed, early feeding issues early on that just don't seem to be getting that much better... It's okay to ask for help. And Judy always uses the analogy, you know, if you break an ankle and you are struggling to walk again, you would go to physical therapy. It's okay to ask for help if you feel like things are not working. And if they're trending in a direction that just keeps, where they keep getting more and more selective, if mealtime becomes this major stress for you, it's absolutely something to talk to somebody about.
2: Megan, that's such good advice. And I It goes so well with sort of the theme, I think, even just of our show that we're always saying, like, it's It's not your fault (laughs) you didn't cause this. If you think something's wrong, like, reach out, get more help, get more people on your team. And Feeding Littles is actually a wonderful place to start if any of this has sounded like, oh, this is a struggle. So we're going to link in the show notes to your website. uh, But where else can people
3: um, follow you, find you? Sure. We're just at Feeding Littles on all the socials, if you will. Um, TikTok is, you know, as a older millennial, I'm still hobbling my way over there. But um, Instagram is where you'll find most of our stuff at Feeding Littles. And then we also have feedinglittles.com if you want to check out any blog posts, courses, products, etc.
2: I highly recommend it. It definitely um, is one of the things that helped us towards moving towards um, finding that food therapy was the right option for our middle child. So Megan, thank you so much for joining us. It's been such a pleasure.
3: Awesome. Thank you so much.
0: And that's it for our show. Don't forget to join us on Monday. We have a very special visitor. Our former friend Dan Koist is joining the show. He's always our friend. But former host Dan Koist will be <laughs> joining us on Monday. And while you're at it, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts so that you never miss an episode. This episode of Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Rosemary Belson and Christy Tywo Macanjula. For Zach Rosen and Elizabeth Newcamp, I'm Jamila Lemieux. Thank you for listening. Okay, Slate Plus listeners, let's get into our final conversation for the week. Criticism is one of those things that keeps popping up from time to time on the show, For those of us who, in some ways, parent in public as part of our job, criticism comes with the territory. But for the average parent who is not in the public eye, who's dealing with unsolicited criticism and advice, it can be hard to deal with. So we were inspired to talk about this after reading an article in Romper, which we'll leave in the show notes. But uh, Elizabeth or Zach, one of you want to give us a quick rundown?
1: sure this is a piece called how to handle it when someone criticizes your parenting it's by the writer jennifer paris we get some real examples of of how to deal with criticism and i think the the important thing is like parsing where the criticism is coming from like if it's coming from people that we we love and trust and who are like in our inner circle it's very different from some um moron you know in line at the drugstore who's like giving their opinion so it kind of parses the difference between those two types of criticism but i think that the main thing that that we can learn from this piece um is like what do we do in the face of it um what do we say when someone criticizes our parenting and then what's like underneath it when when we are triggered by someone's criticism like what does it say about um how we how we're parenting
2: I was surprised by how forward the like suggested <laughs> responses were. They were polite versions of, back off, <laughs> my child is loved. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> like, well, you think they were forward?
2: I thought they were very, like, I guess, uh, again, though, maybe just because we're faced with so much, like, everyone has an opinion on, on what the three of us were doing, um, I I just normally don't. I, I know the article talks about, like, you need to set this boundary. But for the most part, I just don't even think that it's, like, worth me getting up the energy to set a boundary with people. Like, if I'm in the store and someone says something to me, yeah. my brain is just like, whatever, fuck you. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> Seriously. And maybe your mouth is like that, too.
2: <laughs> yeah, maybe. But I think my mouth is just like, all right. <laughs> like, I don't yeah. ca- I don't care.
1: I mean, and for people who haven't read it yet, like some of those responses that, that they suggest are I'm parenting the best I can. My partner and I choose to parent this way. I hear you, but my parenting is up to me and my partner. I really need to make it clear that I don't want any thoughts, ideas, or criticism from you about my parenting. I wish I had the grace to say it like that.
2: I just feel like that gives them more buy in than they even deserve for the most part. Right. Like, right. this is a choice I make. Like, you're in the line with the grocery store. I don't know you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I think these are more appropriate responses for somebody who's like in your life. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, a parent, a colleague, you know, somebody who's just overstepping their boundaries but maybe doesn't get like the long drawn out conversation about it. You know, you just kind of need to throw up that boundary signal really quick but I do think something about I'm parenting the best I can is kind of liberating like that's pretty discernment probably <laughs> yeah, that is <laughs> and I haven't had you know Everybody's had like a reproachful glance in the grocery store, you know, some <laughs> mean older woman looking at you like you can't control your kid. But yep. I, I've been very fortunate. I haven't had anyone straight out say something, you know, to me, but, um, you know, who, who wasn't a family member uh, or like maybe specifically my mom. But um <laughs> I I think, you know, if I were in that situation and I kind of lost control and somebody was coming at me, I love the idea of disarming them Mm -hmm. with, I am parenting the best I can.
1: We were out to dinner the other night at this like restaurant, this Lebanese restaurant that is kind of like this massive ballroom. And so it was like tons of, tons of space for the kids to run around. And so what do you think of this? I have a five and two year old. The Two year old is especially, um, you know, got a lot of energy and I just let them like run around, um, kind of like they were on a track.
0: Where were you? Did you say a restaurant?
1: We, we were, we were at a restaurant. Yeah, it wasn't <laughs> very crowded. What would you, what would you think of a parent who's like letting their kids basically get a workout? Um, at Jamila, a he's
2: parenting the best he can. Okay, parenting the best <laughs> he can. That's what I honestly would think. That's what. I, I what think kind of restaurant is it? Is there uh, ta- are there tablecloths? <laughs>
1: No tablecloth. It's like a. Le- it's kind of like a Lebanese diner, like Middle Eastern. Cool. diner. Were we they disturbing
2: other diners?
1: Uh, no, I mean yeah. I don't know. It might be disturbing for some people to have a kid run by them as they're enjoying their chicken shawarma plate. But
0: were they loud?
1: That, no, I don't think so. <laughs> they were really, really cute. Does that? Yeah. I think that helps. But of course, I'm biased.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I'm torn on this one. Give it to me. I'm torn. I think. I'm like pro-free kids. I like kids running wild and being free. And I you know, wish there were more spaces for them to do that. But I do understand how the dining experience could be interrupted for some people by that. You know, like I personally probably would not be bothered by it. You know, I can imagine other people were. I can tell you that if I were out having dinner that every black person at my table would probably be thinking I could never let my kids do that.
2: Mm -hmm. You
0: know, because there's just like that fear of like... I never want anyone to say anything to Naima. Like that's like one of my biggest fears is like some other adult or authority figure is going to want to confront her, you know? So like she has a a friend who sometimes can be a little loud in public and I'm always so like, yikes, yikes, yikes. Um, So I don't know. I don't think I would let my little one run in the restaurant.
1: I want to hear our listeners best parent criticism stories like i want to hear about like the the monster who who criticized you um in the meanest way and 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 i want to hear how you handled it
2: me too or if you use the phrase (laughs) this is how my partner and i (laughs) are choosing to raise our child i want to know if it disarmed the other person
1: yeah
0: i'm also a fan of i will let you know when i'm looking for advice
1: well that's pretty passive-aggressive too but in a in a in a great way like that's something that i would say too
2: yeah. that's a
0: wall. you're
1: not gonna you're not gonna let <laughs> you're not gonna let them know when you want it that's that's just like a, a cunning way of saying oh, that to, to fuck off right
2: yeah I agree we want to hear your stories though
0: yes please send us your stories to mom and dad maybe you'll hear them here on the show
2: oh send us voice don't, don't just write in we yes. need you to tell us the story send us a voice memo voice memos requested you've
0: heard it. All right. Uh, Thank you, Slate Plus listeners for your support, and we will talk to you again next week.